Hello, my name is Monica Cuitiva and we are here today with Dr. Al and Dan Esfera and we're going to be discussing the FDA guidance uh, to do clinical trials during COVID-19 pandemic period. So here we are today. Thank you, Monica. Thank this you. Is, this is episode... Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Dan. Five? Episodes a lot already. Six. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we got the great, the world famous Dr. Al Jazeera Leon. He's just been interviewed, or we're interviewing him for the first magazine edition of the Clinical Scoop. Uh, by the way, Eileen said she's going to interview you, so she's emailing you or calling you or something about She She uh, emailed you. We'll talk about it later on. Okay, good. Uh, good. Dan, yeah. Good. So no, we, no everybody stay tuned for that because you'll get the first issue. Um, uh, we'll, we'll notify you when the first issue comes out. But basically, this show is for uh, clinicians, and we call it a Clinical Scoop, where science meets business for clinicians. And we always start by talking about something going on um, during uh, current events as far as healthcare is concerned as far as science and medicine. And then we, we integrate clinical research and we make it practical and show you, hey, you can actually do a study. Would you ever consider doing a study like this? So there's a lot of research involved in what we talk about. And this show actually goes to illustrate how research is kind of integral to everything. I mean, you know, when I get a headache, I'm glad I have medicine when I have the headache. And, it wouldn't be possible without clinical research. So thank you guys for joining and uh, let's get right into it. Yeah, mainly uh, the discussion and the FDA guidance, it's just a guidance for the clinician and for the sites about running the clinical trial. And you know, the clinical trial during COVID, the main, the main reason that the FDA issued this guidance is to, for patient safety to make sure that the patient are conducting. As you know, Dan and Monica, the trial is, some of the trial is ongoing, some of them is, is uh, put on hold because of the COVID-19 and the sponsor and the investigator are the main uh, people who's responsible about these uh, things. Uh, mainly a lot of uh, sites uh, converted to do a clinical trial virtually through the Zoom as we're doing it now or through the phone calls for the patient to check on them. It depends on the clinical trial and some of the clinical trial has been uh, even stopped Adapted. recruiting and uh, that's affect on the sides, affect on the clinical trial itself and the, and the results and uh, on the clinician that's running the clinical trial. That's right. And so we have the FDA guidance. So this was in uh, March, not March, March, May, right? They issued this guidance. Uh, I'm trying to share the screen, but I don't know if I, they do you actually, have it in front of no, you? They actually, yeah, they actually uh, did it on March, but then they uh, kept updated it. Updated, yeah. Let me just. Yeah. Yeah, you remember last week when we talked, we talked about the, uh, the effect of the COVID-19 on the clinical trial and the side job, we discussed it and we saw what's happening and uh, a new, uh, new recommendation that's done for certain uh, disease screening and treatment in the COVID-19. 
Right. And that's in the clinical part, but this is in the research part about the clinical trial mainly. Exactly. Yeah. Last week we discussed the oncology management, uh, you know, the new guidances when it comes to oncology during a COVID-19 pandemic or really any pandemic, I mean, um, for the most part. And the in um, March, the FDA released the COVID-19 guidances for uh, conducting clinical research. Monica is going to look for it to pull it up, but uh, I think I have it here in front of me too. So let me see. If which, I can which one are we going to discuss first? Uh, the FDA. Yeah, whichever one you have, we can go with that one. But basically, I have it here in front of me. I have it here in front of me, but okay. I, I already know what it says. I mean, let me share the screen so people can okay. see. So we've actually done a webinars on this in my other channel, the Clinical Trails Guru. And we've done a webinar, we've done a meetups on this, but this is for you clinicians now. I mean, we got to, you know, we dressed up fancy to talk to you clinicians today about this. So here's the screen. Okay, FDA guidance on conduct of clinical trials uh, during COVID-19. Basically, in a nutshell, we can skip the introduction. We can skip the background. Everybody knows what's COVID by now. Um, so for ongoing trials, look at this. Ensuring the safety of trial participants. Okay, you don't need to really know anything else about this guidance other than this sentence. Because that's basically what this guidance is about. This was one of the most, I've been following FDA guidances for a while since I got into research in 2005. This was one of the most easy to follow, more, more one of the most user-friendly FDA guidance I've ever seen. They're basically saying sponsor and site or sponsor and investigator, which is the principal investigator, you can do whatever you think is appropriate to ensure the safety of your trial participant. Whether that means virtual visits or whether that means extra care when they're coming in physically into the office, you know, having an SOP for how you're gonna keep them safe, you can do that. So they're allowing virtual visits by phone now with the patients, which they used to not allow. They're allowing mobile health workers to go directly to the patient's homes and draw blood, and do vital signs for the sponsors and for the investigators. I think that that's appropriate. IRBs are basically going to approve. Here it says may determine the protection of a patient's welfare is best served by continuing a study participant in the trial or by discontinuing administration of the IP. They're basically saying, look, you know, if it's an ongoing study, you the PI and you the sponsor are gonna decide what's right for that patient. That's really what matters at the end of the day. Um, some, so here's one, since trial participants may not be able to come to the investigational site for protocol spe uh, specified visits, sponsors should evaluate whether alternative methods like phone contact, virtual visit, alternate location for assessment, local labs could be implemented when necessary. Sponsors should determine if in-person visits are necessary uh, so to reduce the risk, okay? And basically the FDA has said that they're expecting a lot of deviations, like a lot of out of window visits, because obviously if a patient misses an assessment, uh, but it's for their own safety, it's still a deviation. So sponsors said in the EDC system, they're 
or the FDA said in the EDC system, there's going to be a separate category for deviations just for COVID. And this is for it's ongoing studies. Explanation. Yeah, yeah they that actually is for the ongoing were, uh, study. The, the, the only things that, I mean, that uh, may vary is depending if, for example, the patient is in a location that is difficult to to get to a patient, like, for example, a skilled facility or something like that, uh, or a nursing home, then, then uh, the sponsor decide, needs to, uh, well, the sponsor needs to contact the FDA to address this kind of uh, um, difficulties because, uh, for, for example, for studies like Alzheimer's, with patients with agitation, I would think that will be um, a little bit more difficult. Uh, but in that case, they, they still have uh, possibilities to keep on doing the studies, just that they need to uh, contact the FDA. Yeah, exactly. So here it says what I highlighted, changes in study visit schedule, missed visits, or patient discontinuations may lead to missing information. Uh, it will be important to capture and document this in the case report form, which is also the EDC electronic data capture system. Uh, basically, you document everything. Yes, there's going to be a lot of deviations. We own sites, the, all three of us on this Zoom right now. I also monitor sites. There's deviations, a lot of deviations from COVID, and that's okay. The FDA says it's okay. Uh, with respect to efficacy assessments, FDA recommends consultation with the appropriate review division regarding protocol modifications. So uh, basically until the protocols are amended to allow for virtual visits, the site needs to do what's appropriate for their patients. That's for the ongoing studies. Okay, so um, in general, NF policies and procedures are not already in place for trials. Uh, sponsors, PIs, and IRBs should consider establishing and implementing policy and procedures or revise existing. So you, the sites need to change their SOPs. Uh, and most of the sites, Dr. Al, I think you did as well, revise the SOPs for uh, COVID-19. COVID you know, have your own. You have to add uh, the revision to each SOP. You're absolutely right, each trial. Exactly. So how are you guys handling, like from March? Right now it's August. So from March when this started, for your studies, how, what's different about how you're conducting your studies and what's the same? Mainly for some studies put on hold in my site. So I stopped recruiting patients for these studies. Some of them has been uh, trying to get the patient in different timing, scheduling in different timing and more space time for the study than my clinical uh, visits, try to keep the patient away from and the patient who need, uh, because I'm a, an oncologist, I do chemotherapy. The patient, they need the treatment and the chemotherapy, I'm bringing them in special dates with uh, reducing the number of the infusion in that day. So the exposure to other patients and exposure to uh, any potential risk would be much less for them. Yep, yep. And then Monica, with uh, your side, and, with I'm our sorry. side there. Uh, and for each protocol, as you said, I'm adding uh, this uh, COVID-19 recommendation and following it in my uh, clinical trial patients. Mm -hmm. So here we have, and Monica, how about you for the site we have over there? 
What are you so doing? For example, what have you been doing? I haven't even seen you in a month. <laughs> what is going so for, on? For example, one of the things that we're going to start doing now is because we're going to start seeing patients again is uh, doing the pre the pre screening obviously online, but also the questions about COVID. Have you been uh, experiencing um, any uh, COVID symptoms or or if they were exposed to somebody that has COVID. You know, the questions uh, before bringing the patients to the office. Yeah. And then using the, uh, we adapt our SOPs and uh, to, I mean, COVID SOPs. Um, and that includes that, the questionnaire before the patients come and, and also the temperature once the patient arrives to the office. Mm -hmm. And what about for new studies? Because this is for ongoing studies. This guidance doesn't have anything for new studies, uh, at least this guidance. So here, this is an interesting question. We're going to come back to you. But at least for this guidance, which came out March, this is the one that came out in March, updated on Perfect, July. In July. July mm -hmm. So let's see when they updated it, if they talked about new studies, because I haven't seen it here. I think they, they actually just talk about new studies. Protocol amendments. So I, I want to get back to that page, but I'm going to see here. Uh, with rapid changes in clinical trial conduct that may occur, public health emergencies, patients are currently dispensing IP through a pharmacy. So that's basic. Those are basic uh, things even without a pandemic. Um, Oh, monitoring. So since there are likely delays of monitoring, uh, what are the FDA's expectations in such circumstances? So FDA recognizes that monitors may not be able to access trial sites for on-site on visits. Uh, sponsors should work to find alternative approaches to maintain trial patient safety and trial data, such as enhanced central monitoring. So I'm a monitor. I actually do this with uh, some sites. Like we do virtual monitoring with a a yeah. site up in San Francisco, they don't let me go. But like with another site in LA, I can do it in person. So it just depends on the site. Uh, but we're doing a redacted scanning of source and monitoring that way. Yeah, they're recommending to optimize the, uh, the, the remote monitoring visits. Yeah, and probably a remote monitoring plan or have a monitoring plan revision. Uh, but I wanna get to the new studies because I don't see anything here yet. I'm almost positive. I, I, I think about... for the new studies, the most recommendation is according to the sponsor and if the trial, if the site will be appropriate for running the trial in that, uh, with this uh, epidemic era. Most yeah, of the because, recommendation. Yeah, because and we're getting new sites. I mean, we're getting like new, new studies, studies and yeah, I and don't see a difference really. Yeah, but they were recommending the protocol to be adapted uh, in a way that is that doesn't affect the, obviously the patient safety and the data uh, that it doesn't or or the studies that are um, thinking on um, stopping for now uh, also not to to get the data to become biased. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm finding it here. I mean, it's basically a lot of questions about monitoring, about IP. Can the can the investigational product intended for infusion be shipped to a local healthcare provider who is not a sub-I? 
uh, to administer. And uh, FDA basically said specific circumstances for a given clinical trial would affect the feasibility. Um, if the IP being evaluated in the trial are administered by infusion, then it would be important that any alternative infusion center have appropriately trained personnel and oversight by physicians with sufficient experience regarding the class of products. Uh, uh, here it's important. For the purpose of this guidance, local healthcare providers who are administrating drugs in a manner that does not differ from normal clinical practices would not be considered sub-buys and not, be, not need to be listed on 1572. So basically, this is the most lenient guidance that I've ever seen from the FDA. It's basically allow you to do anything you want as long as patient safety is, is uh, the, the front, front and center of what you're doing as a, as a, either as a PI or as a sponsor as long as it's documented. Exactly. The most important is the documentation. And if you add anyone, you need to document that to do the infusion also mm -hmm. in the center closer to the patient. And they actually have also guidelines for the documentation. I was uh, seeing that this morning. Yeah, the, they have so the and they have all these questions that they've been getting. We're instituting this from a site. We're instituting trial participant visits remotely through video conferences, which the clinical scoop offers, by the way. So if you sponsors are watching or listening, we offer this uh, with the increase of telemedicine. Uh, a number of resources may be available. FDA does not endorse any particular telemedicine best practices. However, from an FDA regulatory perspective, important considerations for trial visits through video conference include the investigator or study personnel who will conduct remote visits should be trained on how to conduct a real-time video conferencing. Procedures should be put in place to maintain a trial participant's privacy and both the investigator and trial participant should confirm their respective identities with one another before engaging in. So all this needs to be documented. And of course, passwords can't be shared. This is 21 CFR part 11. I just got off the phone with a, a crazy site uh, that um, people are signing the doctors for uh, uh, exams for them electronically. I mean, come on guys, this is 21 CFR part 11, okay? You can't share your password uh, if you're the PI, you have your own password. If you're the coordinator, you have your own account. You can share. Okay, this is basic 21 CFR Part 11 uh, guidelines. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot has changed, but really not much has changed because the the principles of research are still the same. Uh, Dr. Al is still doing research the same. Monica, we are. I'm basically monitoring the same. It's just instead of traveling to all my sites i only travel to some of them and the other ones i do remotely right and there's a lot of sections in this uh guidance on monitoring i mean we know this is mainly for clinicians so we're not going to get into monitoring but it's interesting for the monitors out there also i i think it is very important to mention this for the physician because uh all this gonna be integrated as part of the pi academy for the physician, they're going through the PI Academy, they need to go through the whole training. That's the PI Academy will provide uh, and will make sure it is done so there will be no FDA uh, misconduct or 
if the site get assessed or visited by FDA, everything would be documented oh, yeah. on paper like this. So this is very important for the PI to understand that. I mean, look at these regulations, and I said this is the, one of the easiest ones I've ever seen. But there's GCP. I mean, it's pretty strict, uh, you know. But basically, the theme is even for GCP, subject safety, patient safety first. So you, as a PI, you can continue to be a doctor and just review safety of labs, EKG, assess adverse events, look at conmeds, make sure there's no dangerous interactions or any DV, uh, any protocol excursions. Uh, but you have study coordinators, you have people that you train to do the day-to-day -day work. You, as a doctor, you continue to be a doctor because that's what you do best. You know, if you do a research study, if you're a PI and you want to do a research study, nobody's expecting you to be the coordinator and enter the data in the EDC and answer the queries and do this and that. You're just in charge of patient safety, okay, and making sure that all your staff is following the protocol. That you are responsible for, but you're not responsible for actually doing it. But you are responsible for making sure it's done properly. So that's a big myth that a lot of physicians have is when they want to get into research, they're scared that they have to do everything, that they have to memorize all of these guidance. I mean, I would have never memorized these 34 pages. That's crazy. How can you possibly <laughs> memorize? I can't even scroll to the bottom before this video is over. But, okay, patient safety, we do what we can to make sure the protocol is followed. And when it's not, we document it. That's basic GCP. That's what you do as a PI, and you have to train your staff to be able to do this stuff. And that's PI Academy. Fantastic segue, Dr. Al. I really like that. that yeah, I, I think we need to mention this because all <laughs> our, our presentation or show this is like as a part of uh, offering this for the physician as a PI Academy. Okay, all this mm -hmm. training, all this uh, uh, guideline, and everything that we can provided for the physician who likes to be so in the PI I'm going to show you Please guys while, while you talk. I'm going to show you guys. So you've got, if you want to see a preview of the PI Academy, uh, I can't see the screen. If you want to see a preview, you go to YouTube, Dance Farah, and then me, Monica, and Chris, who's, Chris is not on this call. He's busy with other PIs. He's busy with other PIs teaching them how to do research, but this video, okay, with me, Chris, and Monica in the car, and of course it's not going to play right now, but uh, it will eventually show up. What physicians should know about starting their own research site? And it's just search this and you'll see it. And it will see it eventually starts. Something's going on with YouTube. There's Monica. She's safe uh, in the back. Social distance. It's me driving. And then uh, Chris next to me. We explaining what's going on with um, PI Academy. So for those interested in that, that's what we're talking about there. So just wanted to share that with you guys too. But yeah, we've, we're doing a lot of exciting things with the scoop. But we wanted to... Uh, just kind of give you clinicians an idea of what the FDA is saying, how we should conduct studies during COVID, because this is not ending anytime soon. I mean, 
doesn't seem like it, right, Dr. Al? This is not no, ending. It doesn't seem. They're expecting another wave to come in the, in the next couple of months. Where they, they, yeah, and they're stating that it is going to be worse than the first one. Wow. I'm, I'm not an infectious disease, but this is what I've been hearing. And that's what's been in the news from Dr. Fauci and uh, all these uh, experts in virology. Yeah, so this is going to be important. I mean, but that's not, you know what? That's not slowing down new studies from starting. No, in fact, it's actually uh, probably bringing more studies, including the COVID studies. I was reading also that they are hyper, uh, like doing things much faster to approve these uh, protocols and, uh, and let the studies start. Yeah, so... You know, now is a good time if you're a clinician to get started in research, right? You, especially if you have your own patient database, you know, you can start. It's not really not that difficult. And we're, we're here to help you with the clinical scoop, achieve those uh, results. And every week we're going to try to talk about a few studies. The past couple of weeks we've been talking about some studies that are ongoing, some coronavirus studies. But there's also other studies we're going to discuss that are not COVID studies. And we, we discuss what we would do if we had that study at our clinics, how we would operate, what we think the budget would look like, and things like that. So we try to make it very practical uh, for you guys out there. Yeah, yeah I agree with you 100% uh, done. Especially now at this time, most clinicians, their clinic has been less uh, busy as before. So they'll have more time to learn about the clinical trial, how to conduct clinical trial, how to be, you know, assertive about clinical trial and running it the right way with the help of the PI Academy. Having the right team in place. Uh, exactly. I think we, we can make sure point. that will be done. That's actually a good point. So you th are you saying that doctors that are uh, like private practice are less busy right now? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, for sure. Most of the patients, they're less likely to come and visit. They're doing like video conferencing and like this, but most of the physician is not, they don't have their clinic as busy as before. I think including uh, a yourself, lot of physicians. Right? Including and myself, yeah. Yeah, I'm still doing like more video. The patient who needs to get come and get chemotherapy, I'm doing for them that uh, thing. But other patients that they need follow up and like this, they they this we're doing for them virtual uh, uh, teleconferencing for them and trying to do for them the everything. So, but also some patient, uh, so the clinic is not as busy as it used to be before. We used to see like many patients in the same day. So now you have enough free time that you may learn on. A weekly basis, you, you put some time aside on a weekly basis or a monthly basis to learn more about the, how to conduct clinical trial, how to do clinical trial, how to recruit patients, how to make sure that everything is according to the guidelines. Anything else? What, are we, what did we miss that we didn't cover that you guys want to cover? There Dr. Is, Al always is, comes with the science. There, there is uh, the... A very nice article uh, about uh, statistic, statistic, statistical consideration for a clinical trial during COVID-19, which is 
like if you have a, pay, a summary of it, like in the, the bottom line of it is, if you have a, a study that you're running and it is blinded the study, and uh, you should uh, be careful about the statistical differences that can happen because of the patient not coming or the clinical trial. And sometimes if uh, the, one of the arm is shut, the clinical trial has to be shut down completely. So it is very, that's the summary of the, the, the whole thing, the trial integrity in addition to the patient safety and making sure that the statistical difference is not affected by COVID-19. So statistical difference between treatment arms is not affected by patients not coming to the clinic, basically. Exactly. I have the article. Not, oh, sure. Uh, or Can not sure. Yeah. yeah. Or not interfering in the results of the statistics of that clinical trial. Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't seen this article. Let's, this will be good to see. Mm. I think it's in your... Uh, this one, yeah. On the email. Yeah, this is the one. So maybe as Dan said, the preferences, the table of context, introduction, and background, <laughs> all is the same. But here in the in the, in the discussion where they talk about trial, integ uh, trial integrity, where they're trying to mainly make sure that uh, the statistical difference is not affected by the patient visit or the modification that done on the site according to the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, epidemic sponsorship proactively plan to address the impact of COVID-19 on the ability to meet the trial objectives thank you generally require a protocol amendment or an investigational device exemption okay trial mitigation and analysis trial. yeah this is important for the sponsors too for um and also exactly. for the investigator initiated trials a lot of the studies luckily the study we're working on dr al investigator initiated I mean, you wouldn't even know a pandemic is going on. The patients, this is treatment they're going to have to get anyways for breast cancer, whether there's a pandemic or not. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. And this is what I was uh, mentioning before. When I think this is a very important point, yes. Uh, go to the middle of it. And I think and from the general for blinded trial modification based on the information, the reversal uh, the reveal the magnitude of the treatment affect the uh, treatment. So this is very important. This is what I was talking about also. That's what attracted yeah. it. Uh, yeah. For example, for example, stopping a trial before its planned duration based on knowledge of a treatment difference between arms from a previous interim analysis may introduce bias by stopping a trial close to a random high treatment estimate. So they're basically saying, don't stop it. For example, stopping a trial before its planned duration based on knowledge of a treatment difference between arms from a previous interim analysis may introduce bias by stopping a trial close to a random high treatment estimate. Yeah, so basically they're saying not to uh, use COVID as an excuse to stop a trial if, and then to start it again afterwards to try to get more patients that, that would fit the study better. Yep. That's a risk, actually. I didn't even think about that. You know, we're so embedded at the site level. We don't think about the, the design of studies and the bias that can occur. Uh, yeah, trial mitigation. So they have actually a bunch of, uh, uh, if you scroll down more, 
a bunch of guidance on how sponsors need to run their studies, uh, capture specific information at the participant level. Sponsor, for sponsors considering stopping a trial and conducting a final analysis, a major consideration is the loss of statistical power from a smaller sample size or less follow-up time that was anticipated. For a blinded trial, a blinded power assessment could be conducted to estimate the power of the modified study. The assessment could use the actual event rates pooled over treatment arms or the observed variability pooled over treatment arms in the completed portion of the trial. And then stopping yep. a trial earlier than planned or adding an interim analysis may impact the statistical inference uh, as stated above. Any modification to the trial should not be based on data that reveal information on treatment effect. Yeah, exactly. So, so it is important consideration for the sites and for the sponsor and the PI to know about these things, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, why for the sites? Why Why do you think for the sites? Because they are the one who's conducting the trial. They are the one who's integrating all these informations okay. together and presenting it to the for the to the sponsor. Yeah, because these sites never want to stop a study. Really, I mean, it it makes little sense for a site to want to stop a study uh, because sites get paid based on patient activity, whether the drug was working or not. The sites are getting paid. The sponsor has the incentive to stop a study if it's not working, right? Uh, and so that's what I think the, this is really came out for the sponsors. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I know, but uh, this is also for the site to pay attention for so they will not get, you know, uh, deemed responsible for the outcome of the study if it is, if the bias is, uh, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's the. And, and, also, and also allowing um, the monitoring, uh, you know, to be easier for the sponsor, collaborating with the sponsors in in that in that way. Yeah, and, that's true. And and obviously, uh, uh, you know, the data that uh, we have to uh, capture in the sites. So doing our best to do as much as possible as at best as possible. Yeah, I'm actually super interested in this one. So that I haven't, I haven't seen or heard about this guidance. It's just recommendation as before, but most probably, oh, Monica, have it. She can forward it for you. Yeah, Monica, can you scroll down some more? What's what else do yeah. they say here? Nothing else. Is that it? No, no, no. Wow, this. extending the protocol window. For trials, for a trial with sites closed for a period of time, the missing endpoint, uh, yeah, during this period may not necessarily be related to the treatment. In this case, removing all participants from closed sites who were scheduled for an endpoint. Uh, to avoid bias when using this approach, it is important to remove all the participants from the closed sites, regardless of whether they had previously withdrawn. So, yeah, I. Do you know any sites, studies that closed? I think a lot of studies went on pause. I don't think on any, on any yeah. sites were actually closed uh, due to COVID. I think they're using the, well, we discussed last article, uh, more of the virtual visits. But now, you know, we're still in the middle of COVID, but patients are coming to the office more for the visits. Yep. Interesting so, stuff. 
So I think with, the, with these two articles, uh, there's like a big, uh, there's no big impact, but uh, I, I think the sites and uh, need to pay attention more for what they're doing and they need to uh, conduct documented in their SOPs uh, about how to do it and when to do it and also try to see if the patient can be having the, the visit done virtually without affecting the outcome of the trial will be also appropriate for the safety of the patient. And for those listening and not watching on the podcast, what is this document, name of this one, Monica? What is this? Uh, the name of this is uh, Statistical Considerations for Clinical Trials During the COVID-19 Public Health Emergency Guidance for Industry. We can, we can also uh, share the links uh, with the, in the video. Okay. Yeah, if anybody in the video and then in the podcast too. Yeah, that's right. We'll have the links in the show notes. Good idea, Monica. Good idea. We'll have the links in the show notes for you guys. I think we're good now. I mean, they're going to kick us off here soon. So make sure that uh, you get everything else you want to say out of the way now. Uh, or we have to wait till next week. <laughs> Doctor. That's great. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Dan. Very good, Monica. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a good evening. And everybody out there, thanks for watching and listening to The Clinical Scoop. We'll catch you all later. Thank you.